podcast night. This episode is brought to you by Major Spoilers VIP members. VIP stands for very important people, and their small monthly contributions ensure that this podcast remains free for all of you. If you would like to become a bronze, silver, or gold VIP member, go to members.majorspoilers.com for more information. I sure do thank you for your support. Now, here's your show. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into detail about the topics discussed. So, if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items they talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, time travel, contract killings, and Godwin's Law, and that's just our pre-show discussion. We'll discuss the best ramrods of the watering holes of the galaxy, question our metaphors, and move on quickly before it gets weird. Movies, TV, comic books, and more, and a full slate of reviews, the full story on who killed Adolf Hitler, and our kick-butt poll of the week. Neither rain nor snow nor that weird recurring cramp in my Achilles tendon shall keep us from bringing you the best of the best of the world's nerdery. And the time is now, because the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 673 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing this podcast with a friend. We are so glad to uh, be here each week to talk comic books and pop culture and nerdy stuff with you. And of course, uh, Matthew is here. Hey. Ashley is here. Hey. Rodrigo is here. Correct. And of course, you, the dear <laughs> listener, are here. As we sit down for the 673rd time. Well, not all of us, but uh, let's get to some news. Three items this week. We've got Rat Queens goes on hiatus. Batman the Killing Joke earns an R rating. And Sony's Spider-Man gets an official title, Spider-Man Homecoming. Let's spin that Wheel of Destiny. Let's see where everything lands. I think all of these are kind of surprising. Well, maybe the second one's not a surprise for everybody. Rat Queens goes on hiatus. Now, this happened over over the weekend. Yeah, I know this is a real shock. This came out on April 17th, Curtis uh, Weeby or Wybie, who is the uh, co-creator of uh, mm. Rat Queens, went on mm. to Twitter to say, after long consideration, I've decided to put Rat Queens on hiatus. A huge thanks to Tess Fowler and uh, who is it? Uh, uh, Tamara Bonvillain. Bonvillain for all of their hard work, incredible work and patience through everything. Uh, hire the hell out of them. And that's all he said on the on the issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rat Queens number 16 arrived last week or a couple of weeks ago. And unless issue 17 is already at the printers, 16 may be the last one that you see for a long, uh, long time. I believe Tess said on her Twitter that 16 is the last one that she has arted. Mm, okay, well, there you go. So hiatus doesn't mean canceled. The hiatus right. doesn't mean, hey, I'm, I'm quitting this thing. Right. Hiatus I mean, his other series is on hiatus, too. Peter Panzerfaust is on hiatus, which, you know. I don't know. Well, it hasn't come, it hasn't come back for a long time. Right. But that doesn't mean that it's gone forever and dead. Right. So I wonder what's going on. He's got another series that just kicked off. Bounty. Yeah. And uh, that's, I think, over at Image Comics as well. Right, Ashley? Uh, I don't know if it's their Dark Horse, mm, okay. to be completely honest. Okay. But I, I, couldn't, I couldn't remember either. I just... Uh, I know what the cover looks up. like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I don't, I know a lot of people are super upset about this news. Who's, who's I up? am. Yeah, I know Ashley said uh, you were. I'm bugged by it too. Cause I was just starting to enjoy that book. And what about you? I Rodrigo, literally away? just got into it. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, Red Queens is a book whose first volume I enjoyed. So mm-hmm. I want to read more of it at some point. Um, it does seem very mysterious and sudden, though, especially since no real uh, reason has been given at this point. Yeah. Uh, Bounty is over at Dark Horse Comics, by the way. And yeah, I'm going back mm-hmm. through his some of his more recent stuff. Uh, it's just nothing there. He's, he talks about um, he talks about Star Wars and he talks about uh, I love making comics, but I'm also an avid tabletop gamer. And then he's got pictures of uh, tabletop gaming with uh, with his friends. He does run a does. Twitch channel with mm-hmm. four shows on it, I believe. One of mm-hmm. which is a four girls play D&D and go off on fantastical adventures together. Yeah, I think it's called D20 Babes or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, that's their yeah, hashtag. It's a terrible title. Uh, does Now, this is my question for you. 
If we look at the point where Peter Panzerfaust went on hiatus and the point where Rat Queens came out, do they seem to coincide? I don't know. Uh, there was one. some overlap, but I think it was quite brief. Yeah. I'm wondering if he is one of those guys who can focus on one writing gig at a time, and when he finds something else, he's going to do this for a while, and then he'll do something else for a while. I don't know. I mean, we've seen creators who do this. Creators have a tendency. Some have to focus on the one thing they're doing. Some can write seven books a month. I mean, Bendis mm -hmm. can write more comics than I can read, but... I don't know. I think what it's really going to come down to for me is so long as nobody gets mad at Bounty and starts yelling that Bounty has cost them their rat queens, I'm really sort of fine with this because this the suddenness of it actually makes it feel like it's just a decision where he's like, you know, I can't write two monthly books. Meh. We're going to move on. We're going to do something else, which I'm, I'm really sort of fine with. I don't know that there's necessarily something more larger or perhaps even sinister going on. I don't know. I don't know. I got, I, you know, I don't like to uh, be the one that's always the conspiracy person. Yes, you he, do. You like it. But he it has, it. has gone on hiatus twice before. Yeah. Well, Rat Queens has had a publishing release uh, problem. Uh, as I mentioned, he is the co-creator of the series. The other co-creator of the series is uh -huh. in some kind of uh, is is in some personal issue troubles, uh -huh. and I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Uh, why? Why would it? Uh, I would I would imagine well, if he's if, a co-creator, he's if, still if, if getting money from it. If he owns fifty percent of the rights, then yeah. maybe he wants to is causing him problems or doesn't want it to happen or yeah. I mean, there could be a lot of things going on with that. Like uh, I need to defend myself in court, so I want I want the money that's owed to me now kind of thing and knowing that image comics is something that you don't get paid up front for stuff you're always paid on the back end that could be causing yeah. a lot of problems um in relation to peter panzerfaust um uh, curtis said on, on another twitter post from last year he said that hey um you know it's on hiatus we uh, can't afford to do uh this is our full-time job and so it's, i don't, I don't it's think it's out, sold but it's very, very well very slowly yeah and that that to too but <laughs> i mean rat queens is something that a lot of people have jumped on the bandwagon and super super love it's um it's sold out multiple times and i know it's gone back for reprintings mm -hmm. um so i don't know I, it's just it just seems odd and i you know if it wasn't for this little thing in the back of my head saying hey you know there's a co-creator that could be causing problems and who knows are we sure he's a co-creator and not just a pencil for hire no he's a co-creator um, Where do we find that information? I'm looking go, at their... Go look for it. Um, I'm looking on their wiki page right now, and it says created by Curtis J. Weeby. No. Well, unless that's changed in the last 24 hours, the other person, <laughs> uh, Rock Upchurch, is listed as a co-creator. So um, maybe it's just he can't handle multiple projects at the same time, but that would seem... I mean, if it was up to me, if I was doing something that's super highly popular and something that's brand new and untested... I think I'd stick with the super highly popular thing. I just I don't, don't, I don't understand why you wouldn't do both. Well, but I don't, so you know, I don't know his methods. So there's, there's also uh, a chance that something has happened, some health issue or mm -hmm. something else that he doesn't really want to discuss. Mm -hmm. So he's not. Now the problem with that's the, you know, when, when you create something public, you know, when you are a comic book writer or an actor or anything like that, um, and you have to separate yourself from a project, people are going to speculate. So you have two options. Mm -hmm. You can either tell people about your drug habit or kidney problems or whatever it is you have going on. Kids, you have to take to soccer practice. Right. Um, or not tell them and sometimes the, the stuff that people come up with is even worse than what's actually <laughs> going on yeah 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 any other thoughts any other reactions to this i'm just really bummed because this was a story that i really liked and i think that with issue 16 it had really built to um, a fever pitch it was a great end to the arc and i'm not 
certain if it's a great end to the series. Mm-hmm. And I do I do appreciate that things can go on hiatus and they can come back. But my experience mm-hmm. with comics is it usually falls into that nebulous thing where I'm not going to see it for two more decades. Yeah. And that makes oh, me sad. Sure. Or, you yeah. know, it's going to be like, I don't want it to be like reading Rising Stars, you know? <laughs> Some Somebody... I had posted in the in the comment section. I was like, well, I was going to put this on my pull list and now I'm not. And I was like, well, don't yank it off your pull list just yet because if it does come back and you're not aware of it or you forget to order it, at least if it's on your pull list, it'll be that nice surprise when it finally does come out. True. So, I don't know. It, it's kind of sad, especially when it seems like this was, the series was just about to propel to something higher than mm-hmm. than just being a popular image uh, series. I really think that it was on well, track and, for uh, something, something in another uh, outlet. Well, but that doesn't matter. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there's lots of series that were done and done and still got, you know, movie deals or something like that. In fact, the fact that you can point to a complete arc of this and say, you can just do this as mm-hmm. a movie and you don't have mm-hmm. to worry about anything else might actually uh, be a benefit. Be a selling point, yeah. Yep. And it, it may be something as simple as, well, I'm writing this other thing. I mean, I, I, I think that the main question for me is going to be, what's this new thing he's doing? Well, it's uh, Bounty from, uh, from uh, like, Dark like, Horse Comics. Like Bounty Hunter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got some, I think, previews over at Major Spoilers. And think, you can check yeah, out more about it there. Dropped last week, this week, something yeah, like that? Yeah, I think so, yeah. There you go. So you can check that out, Matthew, and then decide if maybe that's something up your up your alley. Mm, I'll do what I usually do. Ten months from now, somebody will say, hey, this was good, and I'll read it just in time for it to get canceled. There you go. But I then I once waited eight years for issue three of Ms. Mystic, and when it came out, it was crap. So, you know, it's the, the waiting game is a is a harsh mistress is what I'm saying. Hey, sure. Mm. At any given point where, like, uh, in, in a quantum sense, we're still waiting about six months for every issue of Astro City. Yeah. Mm. Hey, just remember there was a time where we all wished there were more Star Wars movies. <laughs> I, I never wished there were more Star Wars movies. Well, I would agree with that sentiment. <laughs> no, that's, that's uh, Supergirl, because I like the way they ended. Supergirl ended uh, this week, or this, well, maybe it'd be, maybe the series finale ended this week. Um, yeah. Uh, you can find all about uh, Ashley's reaction. I think Jason was on this too, wasn't he or not? Or is it just He was you? not. He was on uh, last week. Oh, last week. He'll, and he'll okay. be on next week. We're doing our finale episode, which is going to be uh, predictions, hopes, and dreams for season two. Okay, because it did end on a kind of a weird note. Um, yeah, uh, uh, Superman's, sure, Superman's sure boots were no longer on the table. That's all I can say. Uh, <laughs> but you can go check that out, Girl on Supergirl. <laughs> over that's at good because that's bad luck. Yeah, yes. Superman's boots should not be on the table. They are, they are throughout the episode, though. Yeah, they are. Well, yeah. the weirdest, weirdest it's the boot. Anyway. It's like, it's like when Norm's wife, Vera, would, like, show up in shadow or be standing outside the door of Cheers, and like you never... Maris? Just, yeah, Maris did the same thing. I'm telling you, man. If you are a fan of the Flash TV series, it is back this week, and you can check out the Flashback podcast over at the members site, members.majorspoilers.com. That's for our bronze level and higher uh, VIPs. As little as $2 a month, you can support everything that we do at majorspoilers.com. You can get a bonus podcast, Flashback, where Matthew and I go dive deep into the uh, to the nooks and crannies of the Flash, and we come out with something shiny. Yes. <laughs> also, if you like role-playing games, there's Critical Hit. Yay, Critical Hit. Uh, You can also find that at the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. And if you're looking for more news and reviews and previews, they can all be found over at Majorspoilers.com. Let us talk some comics now. Some comics that have not been canceled as we do our reviews. Ah, jinx. I know, right? Don't say canceled. (laughs) It was was on hiatus. It's not the same thing. Actually, mine is ending. Mine's actually over. It's Gutter Magic number four, written by uh, Rick Dork, Dork. Uh, with Brett Barkley uh, on the art. It's from IDW Publishing. I think I've talked about the last three issues of this, two, three, and four. This one, um, Cinder and his uh, goblin friend finally make it into the high tower, and they come face-to-face with uh, uh, with the guy that has given everyone powers, Oppenheimer. And we kind of find out how everyone got magic or how there became these high wizards in the world. And then Cinder is given the opportunity to get these powers. And I got to say, it's kind of a mess. 
well, uh, how did all the wizards come about? I mean, magic has always been around in this world, apparently. Well, how did these high wizards come about? And how did all these families get to be so powerful? Because we invented super wizards with technology. And I can give you that technology, too. Zap, I've given you that, that magical technology. Oh, no, you don't. Oppenheimer, you weren't supposed to do that to any other wizards. Pow, 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 bing, bang, boom. And then Cinder winds up in jail, and we find out that he secretly has magic. I don't know. I did. I was hoping for something more than, well, he strapped people onto these uh, big giant metal discs and zapped them with magic energies so they could go fight the Germans and their dragons. The end. It's really a disappointing story. I thought, and maybe if you read them all together in a collected four-issue miniseries, maybe it'll make more sense. Maybe this is a prelude to something that's coming down the road from IDW Publishing, maybe an ongoing series. But as it stands right now, the ending chapter is really kind of a mess in how they try to cram everything into 28 pages. The art is nice. I really like the art. The art continues to shine through this. But Gutter Magic number four is only good enough to earn two slices of meatloaf from me. I mean, if you've already been up to the, you know, if you've gotten the first three issues, you might as well finish the series. But if you're looking to pick up the all four of them at once, I'd probably say pass mainly because of this final issue. So that's gutter magic number four out this week from IDW publishing. Matthew, what do you have for us this week? I got a comic. It's a comic book from uh, Dark Horse Comics. Comes out today, actually. Leaving Megalopolis, colon, Surviving Megalopolis, number four. Very complicated title for a relatively simple book. Uh, and by simple, I mean the premise behind it is one of those brilliant sort of, hey, he flies through time and space and it's bigger on the inside kind of stories. Basically, Megalopolis is the center of a universe. And just think of it as like Metropolis. And all the heroes were there, and then something bad came up, and all the heroes went El, El Bonzo Seiko and started killing everything in sight. And now the city is a war zone filled with superheroes flying around and being evil and doing bad stuff. In the previous three issues of this series, a young man named Tanner has gathered a group of people who actually escaped the city in the previous book, uh, Leaving Megalopolis, hence the you know title of this being a sequel and all like that, and gone back into the city to save a mysterious man, paid by this mysterious man's wife. Last month, we found out that this isn't just any old guy, but in fact, Superman. one of the supervillains. Oh, supervillains. So and super, all of... Superman. No. Uh, maybe Lex Luthor. Maybe. Mm. But... All of the villains are holed up in the middle of the city in not Arkham Asylum, where they're living a comfy life uh, locked up in a hermetically sealed uh, dome environment. And they haven't come out because, of course, you know, the city is overrun with crazy bad guys. At the same time that this is all going on, two members of Tanner's group have broken off and climbed down into the mysterious pit that some people claim is actually a pit all the way down to H-E double hockey sticks, where the whatever it was that came up came up from, or from whence the whatever it is that came up did in fact come up, however one would construct that sentence. And they find something in the bottom that is super gross and super evil, and oh my God, if you ever meet Gail Simone in person, I want you to run, because there are some scary things going on in this person's mind. Oh, she's such a nice person. She's so sweet and she's so kind and so thoughtful. And then she writes these things and you realize that she's the devil or at least part of her brain uh, is, is channeling the devil. Uh, there's also a bit of business about a Batman type vigilante called the Crimson Shadow. Uh, at, for those who really want to know, I had a superhero called the Crimson Shadow in college 20 years ago. So, you know not being a hipster or anything. And this issue has one of the best cliffhangers. This is a six-issue mini, so we're two-thirds of the way through. And at the end, with the cliffhanger ending that we get, clearly something bad is going to happen. Also, my favorite of the evil superheroes makes his uh, appearance and nearly gets killed this issue. His name is Ribbon, and he's kind of a stretchy guy, like Plastic Man, only completely flat, like a ribbon. And I like to think that first, somewhere... First place or runner-up? <laughs> well, he's white, so technically third, uh, third place. Third place, yeah. Yeah, with little red R on his chest. But I like to think that he's the sidekick of a dead hero named Boatman who liked boats. 
Nonetheless, uh, leaving Megalopolis, surviving Megalopolis number four is still really solid. Four slices of meatloaf. Jim Calafiore handles the art, and his art is terrifying. And that may be part of the reason, you know, that I look at this and say, I'm afraid of Gail Simone. I'm also a little afraid of Jim Calafiore with a pencil. Hopefully, you know, the pencil will not be near my eyes at any given point. Um, I'm also not saying that something like that happens in the book. You'll have to read it to find out. But this is really well done. And it's something where sometimes you get a chapter of a miniseries that doesn't feel like a full story. It feels like a broken up chapter. This is successful as a single issue and as part of the book, Four Slices of Meatloaf, for leaving Megalopolis number four. All right. Cool. Uh, Rodrigo, you are not reviewing a comic book, but something that uh, is loved by everyone who loves pop culture. Yeah. Carrot Top? Yes, Carrot Top. He's reviewing Carrot Top right for, yes. directly from the stage of, of Salt Lake, uh, Seattle, Seattle's main stage. Yeah. Carrot Top. <laughs> Carrot Top. Weirdly buff. The end. <laughs> Um, no. Five uh, slices I'm... of meatloaf or? <laughs> yes. Nine slices of meatloaf out of five. Because he's no. that beefy. That's right. I'm reviewing the that new was power. such a carrot top. Sorry, that was such a carrot top joke, though. Yeah. That was the point. Sorry, Rodrigo, go on. I would have, I, I, I feel like I would have had to be holding the meatloaf and then it would have been a carrot top joke. <laughs> In How do we know case, you're not? This is the internet. That's true. There you go. Imagine me holding a meatloaf. <laughs> With little dogs nipping it. That's very accurate, actually. Uh, what was I talking about? Power oh, yeah, my review. Girls. Yeah, I, so I watched... Uh, I watched the first 10 episodes of the new Powerpuff wow. Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was an interesting experience. Uh, there's a lot, there's a lot to like here. I mean, um, there were a lot of, there were a handful of times when I was actually laughing out loud. Um, there's a lot of really good jokes. Um, I think in a lot of ways, the essence of who the Powerpuff Girls are is still in this show. Um, but, uh, I'm largely thrown off by a few things. Uh, first off, the designs are very similar to the original ones, but the voices are different. And from what I understand, this was a point of contention. Apparently, they didn't even ask the original voice yeah. actresses. Tara Strong. Tara Strong was like, nobody asked me about this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the, the thing is, uh, Professor Utonium and the mayor and the narrator are all the same. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not that they didn't ask him back because this was a creative shift right mm-hmm. the way that um you might not the, the way that say you don't have kevin conroy voicing the beware the batman the batman mm-hmm. it, like this was this was something else which is weird it's weird actually how close everything is to the old stuff um the only, for example, the only episode where we see uh, Ms. Bellum, she leaves. What? And it's like they introduce her and then she leaves and then she's gone, I guess. She leaves the um, show? I guess, maybe. Um, that is also the last time we see her, uh, at least in these 10 episodes. The first time we see Mojo, he's not uh, being a supervillain. He accidentally ends up in the Powerpuff Girls sleepover. So we're not introduced to Mojo Jojo as an evil monkey genius supervillain. He actually seems like a friend of theirs, um, which I, I know at sometimes he is for the jokes, but you kind of have to establish him. So weirdly, the show assumes, it seems that you're going to be familiar with the Powerpuff Girls, which seems weird for a cartoon for little baby children, you know? Like, well, the so Powerpuff Girls... Oh, go so ahead. are they trying to... So, a couple of questions. One, Powerpuff Girls was a thing that was, like, almost 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so, are they trying to capitalize on nostalgia for the youngins? 
or are they trying to reach a new audience or are they trying to do both and failing at both? I think they're trying to do both and doing both only so-so. I I mean, I think that's exactly it. They're really banking on uh, getting new viewers, um, which is why now the Powerpuff Girls uh, receive their emergency uh, calls, not on a little toy clown phone, but on their uh, smartphones, Mm -hmm. which have a little clown app in them. Which is weird because, again, it's like a weird shout out to like the previous stuff, right? And then on top of it, um, but but at the same time, they're trying to appeal to uh, everyone that's already seen the show because they don't explain anything. The intro is this like big pow wham kind of song. It doesn't explain, you know, the old Powerpuff Girls show would explain who they are and what their deal is in the intro every time. So you don't need an origin episode. Um, But here it's like severely lacking to have an origin episode because new kids aren't going to know what the Powerpuff Girls deal is. And I know that kids are like naturally good at just jumping in the middle and kind of getting things from context. But that's something that ends up happening because of the nature of being a child and not knowing TV schedules or when comic books come out and not something that I think the, <laughs> the show should deliberately do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in the end, my, my biggest uh, issue with it comes down to this. The PowerPoint, the, the PowerPoint, the PowerPoff girls, PowerPoint girls yeah. yes, used to have such a like tight formula to it. And that formula made it so that when they changed the formula or played within the formula, it made the episodes very satisfying, right? It's, mm-hmm. you know, the Powerpuff Girls formula is intro, sugar, spice, everything nice. Powerpuff Girls are born. <laughs> intro. Um, the city of Townsville is under attack. Then fighting. Then um, some kind of social problem actually either between the girls or the girls and someone else or the professor or something like that which then gets resolved through the course of another monster fight uh usually involving some sort of montage in the middle because if you know your uh mccracken tartakovsky over right, right. they're big on, they're big on their montages yeah mm-hmm. um which is great I, I don't have a problem with that um and then once again the day is aid by the powerpuff girls um <laughs> And that is like, uh, it's like dinosaur comics, right? Where like all of everything is always the same comic and they just change the words. It's like, it's like a song that somebody's riffing on. It's like, you know, it's, it's like we're Powerpuff Girls is like the blues. And when somebody riffs on it, when the writers themselves riff on it, that makes it interesting or cool or weird. Or when they change the pattern, it throws you off. Um, but this doesn't have it. The narrator is not in every episode. He just randomly, like they will, the narrator, the narrator will just come in in the middle. And I was like, well, you didn't set up the narrator at the beginning. It's like they're using these Powerpuff Girl tropes and just making new shows that aren't necessarily quote unquote, the Powerpuff Girls out of them. Here, um, here's the interesting thing. Uh, McCracken is, uh, for this new series, isn't directing any of the episodes. He directed like 51 of the original episodes. Right. He's written 13 of, he's listed as one of the mini writers mm-hmm. of the new series. And he's only written 13 of those, those episodes. So it's almost like he's not as involved as he was I, before. I don't, I don't think he's involved at all. Well, like, it's, it's I think, got him listed as, as a writer for 13 episodes, yeah. but he's I not think, directing any of the episodes. I don't think he wrote any of the episodes I saw. Hmm. So they're, they must be keeping him in reserve. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, these first 10 episodes are the first thing we're seeing of these new Powerpuff Girls. And they, they don't have that. It, it, you know, I'm not nostalgic for the Powerpuff Girls because I didn't grow up with them um i didn't have cable when they were big so i started watching them later but i have a a big appreciation for the structure of the powerpuff girls and about how just incredibly tight every episode of the powerpuff girls is it is 
art in the way that like a really good sandwich is art. Mm-hmm. But these guys are like, let's just get rid of the bread a lot of the time. And it's just like, well, okay, yeah, we can eat some ham with mustard on it and that will be fine. But it's like, wouldn't you want some bread? And it's like, no, 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 we're not doing bread today. I, like at times it was really off-putting. There's nothing wrong with it. And like I said, there's lots of stuff that's really funny about it. Um, like laugh out loud funny. Um, but there's something about it not having that structure while still borrowing pieces of it that is really off-putting. If they had done away with it entirely, that would have been fine too. But it's these like constant reminders of what the show used to be that really throw me off. Um, I'm going to give it three slices of meatloaf. Again, this is an above average effort. It's fine, but it's uh, at least for me having uh, like really digging the structure of powerful Powerpuff Girls. It, it, it takes some getting used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the voices, they've actually cast the girls with actual teenage girls. Yeah. Which I think may be the reason why they, you know, did the change in and, voices. Know, and, and, you know, the voices sound fine. I think that the voice actresses are doing a good job. But again, it's so weird. It's so weird that, like, nothing else has changed mm-hmm. except for the voices. It's like, um, you know, in, like, the, the most common translation of Dragon Ball Z, when all of a sudden Goku has a different voice like two seasons in it's exactly and it's just like weirdly off-putting it's like all of a sudden you know it happens in animation all the time they just right. a different actor takes over and it's like <laughs> suddenly this person has a different voice and the voices are different like bubbles doesn't sound the same she has a, an entirely different voice that is also cute but is not the same voice yeah. I, I, I don't know there's like i think the biggest issue with Powerpuff Girls is that it's trying to do everything. It's trying to do new things and old things and just kind of doing both uh, halfway. Also, there's kind of an ecstasy episode, which is weird. But I wasn't going to get into it, but it's kind of weird. <laughs> That's too bad. It doesn't say, I mean, um, I don't know. Maybe maybe things should be better left uh, as they were. I mean, uh. they could have done it either way. There are kind of like proof of concept stuff floating around the internet where they were going to change the designs very drastically mm-hmm. or at least more drastically. Um, and they abandoned that for very small changes to the character design. If again, if it was the difference between Batman, the animated series and the Batman, mm-hmm. um, then I would be fine with it. I like yeah, both it's clearly, of those things. Clearly a new over, clearly a new tone. Right, exactly, exactly. It, like anything, you know, it's like you can still compare them. You can say, well, I like this better or I like this better. But um, they stand apart from each other. Uh, whereas this, it really, really invites comparison. And after, and it's like, and if you've watched all like thousand episodes of the original Powerpuff Girls that you're going to have some favorites and that's what you're going to be bringing to this Mm -hmm. Um, and if you're not familiar with the Powerpuff Girls then you're going to potentially go back and find these and be jarred by the fact that it's like so similar and so different Mm -hmm. I don't know well if the the little uh, Powerpuff app is any indication everybody's loving the new Powerpuff Girls they're loving the app everybody's (laughs) changed their avatars that is that is cute, but I, I, it, it's not any again. It's not something that could have existed without the prior one. And in fact, that's probably the reason why people are using it, mm-hmm. not because they're gung ho behind this new iteration, but because they're like, oh man, I remember the Powerpuff Girls from back in high school yeah. or middle school or elementary school. Ashley, were you ever a Powerpuff Girl watcher? Uh, no. I, well, I mean, like I've seen it, but I was never crazy about it. And then I never got back into it as a grown up person because things that are really super sugary and really super girly make me all prickly on the outside. Mm. I, uh, I'll be honest. I never watched the TV series. Uh, I was bored. God, it must've been after I moved back to Hayes. I was bored mm-hmm. one day with nothing better to do. And the only movie that I could go see that I hadn't seen was the Powerpuff Girls movie, so. Yeah. And I was a huge fan at one point because 
somewhere along the line, Cartoon Network sent out a VHS of a bunch of little cartoons that they were that they had like paid for, and Craig McCracken, one of them, was on there, and it was his pilot for Powerpuff Girls. It was amazing. It was really, really good. And then, of course, the series started. And I'm like, this is still really, really good. But I didn't watch all 77,000 episodes. I sort of drifted away and then started watching again with the kid lately. And she's not feeling the the revamp. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, thanks for filling us in, Rodrigo. And, of course, if listeners, sure. if you have some other reactions to Powerpuff Girls, use that comment section over at Majorspoilers.com. That's why it's there. It's one of those use it or lose it kind of things. Now, our final review this week comes from Ashley. What have you got yes. for us? I have a standalone original graphic novel from Faith Aaron Hicks called Nameless City. And Faith Aaron Hicks is somebody, a creator who I think doesn't get enough credit and I have a lot of mad respect for because she both uh, writes and arts her own books, and she is one of the most consistently productive artists um, and writers, comic creators out there. She starts a project, and then a year later you see it, and it's kind of amazing, or at least you know from the time it is publicly announced. Um, I really like her previous work on... Uh, she won an Eisner for The Adventures of Superhero Girl, and um, she did a book called... Uh, friends with boys and nothing could possibly go wrong. Mm -hmm. And nameless city is kind of a divergent for her. She writes a lot of YA stories. Uh, nameless city is YA in the style of your avatar. The last airbender. It is set in a ambiguous, uh, continent in a heavily Asian influenced city. And you learn about, um, a, uh, a young lad who was there because he came from the country where he lived with his mother and his father is an advisor to the general and he's going to train in the city and he's going to become a good warrior guy. And it's called the nameless city because every couple years it's conquered because it's very geographically valuable. And so the locals refuse to name it because all of the invading forces just name it after whatever their tribe is. And this doesn't sit too well with our protagonist. And he, of course, in the style of Aladdin, befriends a, a little street rat whose name is Rat. Um, she's really cool and she's great, a great runner. She runs along the, uh, the roofs of all the buildings. And he has to teach her that it is okay to open up and to have friends and to try and rebuild a family, even if you've lost yours. And she basically teaches him... Um, about acceptance and multiculturalism and equality. And together they teach their elders a lesson about uh, cohabitating within a modern metropolitan city that kind of looks like it's stuck inside feudal Japan. It is really, really beautiful. It's really funny. And it does a great job at being the first volume of a series in that it's a complete narrative. It ties up. If you read the first book and then you never go and pick anything else up, that's totally great, but there is setup and enough character development that there are lots of places for these characters to go. I think this is going to be um, a three-part series. I'm not entirely sure. And um, if you know Faith Erin Hicks, this is kind of her house style, but set in a period. Uh, this is her first book that has been colored. It's colored by uh, Jordi Belair, uh, recently uh, Eisner nominated Jordi Belair, who colors apparently everything under the sun. Uh, <laughs> so it looks really beautiful because uh, they're both really amazing. Uh, if you like uh, Avatar The Last Bender, if you like Legend of Korra, if you like YA stories with a little bit of uh, mythology and heart, this is a great, great book. I can't recommend it enough. Five out of five slices of meatloaf, Nameless City, Volume 1. Excellent. We'll have to check that out. And that's out now. Go check it out at your local comic book store. Comic Book Finder, I think, is the website you need to go to if you're looking for a comic book store in your local area. You may have to drive a little far. Um, locals kind of... Kind of... Uh, relative? Relative, depending on where you live in relation to the coasts. So there you go. All right. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Rodrigo. As I mentioned earlier, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com and check out all of the reviews over there. You can also find the Major Spoilers Poll of the Week. Poll of the week this week comes uh, from one of our listeners who wants to know who is the best bartender. Now, he doesn't uh, qualify what they mean by best. My understanding is that, uh, you know, a bartender listens to your woes, keeps you entertained, keeps your glass filled. 
and send you on your way. Uh, so the suggestions are Quark from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Guinan from Star Trek The Next Generation, Mo Sislak from The Simpsons, Sam Malone for Cheers, Al Swearingen from Deadwood or other. And if you put other, you have to answer in the comment section or your vote doesn't count. So, uh, <laughs> Ashley, I heard a couple of woos from you. Heck yeah. It's got to be Quark because Deep Space Nine is the best of all potential Star Trek. And because Armin Shimmerman single-handedly took an entire race of Star Trek characters that were completely ridiculous and were considered the rats of that universe. And he made them dynamic. He made them interesting. And he created a fully fleshed out character. And plus, with Quark, you have the added bonus of never quite knowing if he's ripping you off. So he's going to keep you on your toes. (laughs) Okay, Matthew? Oh, yeah. Same here. The thing about Quark that will always get you is whether you need a Ractigino or some prune juice or just a few self-stealing stem bolts, he will always have what you want. He will always overcharge for what you want, but he will always have what you want. And moreover, in the moments where everything is down and the chips are falling around you and your tailor shop is on fire, he'll be the man walking out with that ancient Ferengi disruptor and shooting the bad people, not because he loves you, but because he has customer base to protect. And I think that's important. Plus, you know, yeah, I just, I, I keep imagining Ted dancing with Ferengi ears and it's kind of ridiculous. So quark for me too. I went with Sam Malone. Uh, and I know that a lot of people are like, well, you know, he's a womanizer and does all these crazy things. That may be so, but at least he created a place where everybody knows your name. And he created a fun atmosphere where people can hang out. And in the end, no matter what everyone else's problems were, he actually, I think, genuinely cares about people in his bar and wants everybody to just have a good time as he plays out the rest of his life. So I went with Sam Malone. Rodrigo, who did you go with? Um, Out of this list, I definitely go for Mo because... um, most of these characters, I think, and, and some of them even actually within the course of their series, uh, kind of uh, had something else going for them and eventually left the bar. And you want your bartender that you trust um, and you tell things to to not ever leave the bar. And uh, Mo is such a sad sack that he'd never amount to anything more than the bar. He does briefly in certain episodes, but uh, the fact that we know that Mo's always going to be there till he dies uh, mm-hmm. is really one of the things that I would um, that would want in a bartender. Uh, honorable mention for uh, Buddy the Robot from Fallout 4, who is an actual, who is an actual brewery, and you can uh, program him to make any, uh, any alcoholic beverage that you can find a recipe for. Yeah. He also tells jokes in a ridiculous robot voice. Mm-hmm. Cool. All I right. will tell you a joke now. Uh, let's see. We have someone who voted for Al Swearingen, who I can see that, but Al is really kind of in it for him and not. I mean, he does have the he is looking out for the interests of the camp. But at the same time, the interests of the camp are really his interests. But I like Al Swearingen a lot. Um, you have picked both Hawkeye and Trapper John. <laughs> uh, would I have picked both Hawkeye and Trapper John? Could you have? Could they be considered bartenders? <laughs> uh, they, they have a bar, sort they, of. Well, they have a they have a still, sure. Uh, now, Gein, didn't Gein, Hawkeye and BJ take over the tent and have a bar during that one episode? Yes. Yeah. I see. Another person says Guinan was the wisest person in the universe. Uh, uh, Quark says another other Sam Malone was pretty good, but he spent too much time in the back office with his shenanigans. Woody Boyd for the win. Mm. Um, then we have Moe's bar has been open for 27 years and counting. Also, don't forget that he invented the flaming Moe. Uh, Guinan and other Mac, the bartender from the Dresden files, a man, a few words. He has the mysterious past, the advice and the guts to stare down all the supernatural craziness and brew his own beer. So there you go, Matthew, how has everyone else uh, voted so far in the major spoilers poll of the week? Right now, 65 votes in the bag. Uh, Quark is not far and away, but definitely leading the pack with 31% of the delegates. Uh, 22% Sam Malone, followed up by Guinan, who, by the way, it should be noted, stabbed a Q with a fork. Yes. You cannot say that about everyone in the universe. Al Swearage in 12%, 11% for Mo, and 6% 
for those who must use the comment section. I didn't actually count them up because math is hard. But right now, you also have to remember that five votes either direction can swing this. So, uh, you know, if the Mo contingent is out there, he could use some Mo votes. Everybody uh, can use some Mo votes over at Majorspoilers.com, and that's where you need to point your browser to cast your vote in the Major Spoilers poll of the week. Week, 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 week. If you're wanting to check out some uh, cool new things to stuff in your pockets, then might I suggest <laughs> tweakedaudio.com. Yeah, you got to I go out of my walk, plug my tweaked audio into my uh, iPhone, stuff it in my pocket, stuff the earbuds into my ears, and off I go on my little uh, little trek. And then again, if you're not wanting to listen to anything, you just put them in your pocket and there they stay until you're ready to need them. I like them because the flat cable doesn't get tangled. That's the best mm-hmm. thing. That's one of the best things. But if I can get a pair of earbuds or earphones that do not tangle, that is a big up yeah. in my book. Uh, the tweaked audio earbuds come in so many different styles and colors. You can go over to tweakedaudio.com, check them out over there. And while you are over there, use the checkout code MAJOR and you will save 33% off your price. Thank you, Tweaked Audio, tweakedaudio.com, for sponsoring this episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Mm-hmm. Flat cables, by the way, they have a technical name. They're called flables. I think they're called flat cables. Uh, this week we are talking. I killed Hitler. I don't know why. Just sounded like something that we should talk about today. Uh, it is an interesting little book. Uh, Matthew, how about you give us a rundown of I killed Hitler? Uh, which in the French was I don't speak French. Uh, but this is actually, I believe, was originally written in French. Uh, this is the story of a man? Yeah, sort let's call of? him a man. It's all anthropomorphic animals. people. Yeah. A man a man dog who has a day job where he murders people. Yep. People pay him to murder people. And it's fascinating because someone comes and says, I will pay you to murder Adolf Hitler. He's like, that's impossible. He's like, no, no, no. I have a time machine. And he's like, okay. So he goes back in time to murder Adolf Hitler. And then... And I want you to keep in mind that the point after the man dog whose day job is being an assassin goes back in time with the help of a crazy old scientist to murder Hitler 50 years in the past, then the story gets weird. I love this book. I'm sorry. Is this the first um, time that you've read this? Yeah, I've, n- I, I've never read this particular book. I've heard about it. But I've always heard about it as one of those, man, did you hear the crazy thing that Fantagraphics printed this month? <laughs> yeah. And I didn't really know what it was. I was expecting that this would be, you know, some weird, serious alternate universe thing. I was kind of picturing kind of an Art Spiegelman mouse thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with history. And, and what it turns out to be is something, well, honestly, it turns out to be kind of a cute little love story. Um, when when you boil it all down, but oh my God, this is, yeah. So he goes back in time to kill Hitler and, and, Mm -hmm. um, Mrs. Hitler or Mein Kampf or something stops the bullet. Hitler jumps in the time machine and comes back to the future, (laughs) which leaves our assassin stuck in the past. And he has to live out the next 50 years to Mm -hmm. where literally the next, literally after he left, leaves, he shows up at his old girlfriend's house. Uh, they 50 years, older. 50 years older and he they're trying to reconcile what's been going on. He enlists her to go hunt down Hitler and they go down a weird track of following somebody who's not really the person that that they were thinking it was going to be. And uh, yeah, um, it really becomes about them. It becomes about them reconciling their weird ruined relationship. And of course, he has five decades worth of perspective on it, but the the whole story of following this guy who may have written a book about Hitler who could possibly be someone that Hitler might talk to it's like the middle third of the story mhm yeah but at the same time as you mentioned and Ashley jump in on this uh they're trying to reconcile their relationship but it doesn't seem like that's what they're doing at first she's right. just kind of putting up with him because he's got nowhere else to go. I'm an old man who's been living on my own for 50 years, oh. and suddenly that, I have to go stay at your house. But that's what's that's what I think is so interesting about it, is that it it feels very reflective when you finish it of a real relationship, because it is mm-hmm. sort of, for lack of a better word, like pedestrian and quiet. 
Mm-hmm. And then it has she, kind of an inertia to it, even. Yeah, and then she at the end um, winds up being the one um, to tie everything together, and it's really like a monumental gesture that she does that for him. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. because the time machine can only be used every fifty years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is uh, kind of a kind of a struggle. Um, they move forward in time. He's about to die. She, you know, I think at some point, Rodrigo, they, they figure out where they are with one another and, and, and he passes and she decides to go ahead and do something. He gets well, shot in the face. He gets, yeah, he gets accidentally shot and, uh, she's like, nope, I'm not going to do that. So she travels back in time and she tells them to like that Hitler was just passed out to begin with and to shoot him again. And then they shoot him again. And then, <laughs> but, it, but the weird thing is, right. I mean, 50, 50 years has to pass. He dies. She ages and she's like, screw it. Yep. She goes back in time to the moment when Hitler arrives and makes sure that he's dead. And now they're both essentially the same age. Yep. And they get to live happily ever after as old people. Sort of, I guess, maybe. Oh, they get they get to live as two people that are okay with each other. I think is is really the. I kind of got. I got with. to the. I got kind of got. My impression was that, you know, she did try to have him killed at one yeah. point. But, well, yeah, but but they've kind of gotten over that, and they've gotten over their differences, and I think they really have a mutual affection for one another by the end of the story, and that's why she's like, screw it, at the end of the movie or at the end of the book, and and decides to go back and make sure that Hitler is actually dead. Yeah. After he is killed, she is clearly upset and she clearly is going to go back for him. But the weird thing about it, the whole, oh, she she hired a hitman to get him. The story sets up really early that hiring a hitman is just something completely offhand. I mean, a guy guy screws you over by playing his music too loud. Oh, well, we'll have him killed. It's a world where you can go and say, my neighbor's radio is too loud or my boss over passed me over for promotion and have them shot to death. And then at one point, somebody actually comments on it. She's like, well, we killed Hitler and World War II never happened. Shouldn't the world be a nicer place? Yeah. But they never dwell on that because this isn't a story about the world. This is a story about two people kind of shuffling through life in this weird world. It's so strange. And so what is the appeal of this book then, Matthew? Why do you love it so much? I think the appeal for me is that it feels very – I can't think of the word. It feels very off the cuff. It feels like something that's a, a stream of consciousness story almost, yep. like a Finnegan's Wake or a 24-hour comic day thing. Bruce was big into those a few years ago, and he would start a story, and you had 24 hours to finish the story, and the story goes where the story goes. That's what I like about this. It doesn't concern itself with set pieces. It doesn't concern itself with overly dramatic moments. There's a point early on where an assassin comes to kill him, and it's a total Liam Neeson taken moment, but it's drawn so... (laughs) It's not even stiff. It's This style of this story is drawn so that it's almost anticlimactic and silly, and yet it's still an incredibly important moment in the story when he kills a guy with his dinner and shoves him out a window. <laughs> yeah. But I, th- I think the, the thing that I really love about it is that you come into a book called I Killed Adolf Hitler with expectations. You come mm-hmm. into a book like this with baggage. Your brain makes assumptions about this story. And it's not until the last few pages that the point of this story really becomes clear. And the point of this story is two people who probably aren't exactly perfect for each other, but still manage to, you know, figure out over the course of a hundred years and two time travel trips and a few murders that, yeah, it's, you know, maybe they should be a couple. Maybe that's kind of okay. And the last panel, they're just sitting and watching the birds. And it was a long time ago. The uh, That's, that's such a great ending to me. You know, the premise of, I killed Hitler makes you think, oh, my goodness, time travel story. Someone's going to go be sneaking past the guys and doing all this stuff. (laughs) And actually, I think this book kind of turns out to be kind of like a Seinfeld episode where it's a show about (laughs) nothing. It does in a way. And 
kind of the best way that I can think to describe how it manages to do that, but still be entertaining is this weirdly unquantifiable quality that uh, European anthropomorphic comics have Mm -hmm. where it's like black sad will have scenes where really nothing will go on that drives the narrative, but it's still no less entertaining for that. I don't know if it's because they're so well rendered and it's such an interesting choice that it feels slice of lifey enough, but like, Hey, time travel, that's cool in comic-y. I I don't know. It's so, it's so fascinating and so unquantifiable to me, like why this is a good book, but it's so good. Yeah. What about, what about the art, Rodrigo? Can you, can you comment on that? Did you like it, not like it? I mean, it is a different style than what I think we're normally used to in, in our country. It is. It is. And, 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 and I think, yeah, n- new people or, or Americans approaching this uh, do tend to have to get over the whole like puppies and kittens thing. But mm. seriously, in Europe and Latin America, this is normal. Like yeah. You can just yeah. do comics about anthropomorphic animals and never address the anthropomorphic animal fact about it that's just something that happens and you have ducktails to blame uh, <laughs> I, I mean or, the anthropomorphic you know, Uncle Scrooge yeah. the anthropomorphic animals part I guess doesn't really bother me because again we have been exposed you know, to you're used to, to it Disney. yeah uh, yeah. I think I think the the thing that's most interesting about the art here is that it's it's very simple in its design it's it doesn't rely on dramatic camera angles everything is mm-hmm. shot from the shoulder wide shot medium shot and that's about it Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it it kind of slows down the pace of the storytelling. Well, and- it it evens it out, and like like Matthew was saying, that's that's actually part of what makes it feel so stream of consciousness. This sounds like somebody's telling you a story, and mm-hmm. they're just like randomly introducing elements as they go. It's like so anyway, there's this guy, and he lives in a world where like you can just assassinate people, and he's one of these assassins for hire, and it's normal, and he has an office. And anyway, somebody tries to kill him, and then somebody hires him, and they're like, let's go kill Hitler. And he's like, okay, but I need a time machine. So the guy gives him a time machine, so he goes back in time, and he kills – like that's what the – that's how it feels when you're reading this. And it's like simultaneously very calm, but also – it just moves you forward at actually kind of a strong pace. It's difficult to put this book down. It really yeah. is. But the, the other thing is... But partially because it's like 50 pages. Yeah, it is so yeah. short. I was like, I was really expecting, because I didn't know anything about the book except for the title, and that a lot of people really dug it, and people had said over the years that, Stephen, you really ought to check this out. You'll probably like it. And I, I read it like three or four weeks ago. Uh, when we first kind of put it on our schedule and I was like, oh, I'm going to just read this today and get it done. I've got a few hours to kill. And 30 minutes later, I'm like, wow, I still have a few hours to kill. Yep. It, it's such a fast read and it is so engaging because, and I think the reason why it's partly a, f- a fast read is because there are a lot of, there are a lot of panels, pages and pages of stuff where nothing is happening. Nothing is being said. And you, the reader are asked, or I guess encouraged to, mm-hmm ponder and think what's going on in their heads as they're standing outside this guy's apartment for weeks at a time. Right. And that's, that is part of it. And I think that may be part of the appeal. It's that, uh, Scott McCloud wrote about this in understanding comics, the simpler, the faces, the simpler, the actual drawing, the easier it is for your brain to fill in those gaps. Everybody in this book, regardless of the situation tends to have the same blank, pupilless face, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. the same dead-eyed expression. And so it's up to you as a reader to kind of read into that. And it's that same thing, you know, when you when you look at the three-prong outlet on the wall and you see a face going, ooh, this is exactly that. And part of it is, I think, first of all, the addition of Hitler is one of the things that grounds this because we know what Hitler looks like. We know what these animals look like. So we know what a dog Hitler is going to look like. (laughs) So what that does is that makes this essentially a parallel universe with dog Hitler and your brain is like, okay. And even though his face doesn't change when he's back in time shooting people or when he's killing people in his living room or when he is, you know, talking to her, there is that subtle moment where they're lying and he puts his arm over her and they both clearly smile those moments where you get actual bits of of real emotion in those faces 
just suddenly pop. It's like a color scene in a black and white story. Because the art is so simple, it's deceptive when those really, really expertly done moments come together. And you're like, holy crap, think of the amount of work it took or should have taken. And now I'm jealous of this artist because it may not have taken him that kind of work to put it together and make it all, you know, the solid story that we have here. The simple art really sells it for me. Yeah. Ashley, were you a fan of the uh, of the uh, art? I don't know anything about this guy, Jason. I guess he only goes by one his his first name or maybe his last name. Um, I would guess it's it's probably his first name because even in French, um, like Jason is a is a first okay. name. All right. Um, but I don't know. Maybe it's maybe he just thought it was cool and it was uh, the eighties and it stuck. Yeah, I guess um, he he does go by the pen name. He does have a full name, Jean. Uh, I don't even know how to pronounce it. It's uh, he's Norwegian. So, Good, uh, goodness me. Yeah. There you go. Um, there's probably got some weird vowels it in there. It does, and that's why I'm not even going to try to. Jason, je flip de flap de Boingfogen. No, if he's if he's Norwegian, it's more like Bork, 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 right? <laughs> no, that would be offensive. <laughs> um, further into the art, um, I I really dig um, cartooning, and to me, this is what this is this is more cartooning than your traditional comic book art mm -hmm. um and that's a thing that i'm really into right now i'm reading a lot of gene yang's um standalone graphic novels and he describes himself as a cartoonist and it is you look at it and it's so minimalist and you go well you know curse word of choice i could have done that right but it's right. so much more than just designing the simple character it's having the skill to have an entire page filled with six or nine panels where nobody says anything, but the narrative still advances. Like that's, what's so cool about it is, uh, Jason has put a limited amount of information on the page, but it's still mm -hmm. such a rich world that he's created. I really mm -hmm. dug it. Yeah. I kind of, yeah. I kind of like the, sometimes I really like the, the simple art when we talk like order of the stick, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, I think would be another one that a lot of our listeners would know right away that it is very simple design, yet there's so much to be told through that. And at Matthew, as you said, in understanding comics, you can tell a lot with a electrical outlet. Uh, mm -hmm. You can read so much into the expression of that car. And I think, you know, you can keep it very simple and tell a very engaging and emotional story. So I, I really dug this and, uh, I would really bottom line for me this week is I would really encourage people to go out and pick up. I killed Adolf Hitler by Jason. You can get it on comiXology. You can get it from a lot of other places. You can get it from Amazon. You can get it in printout. Uh, there's a link there in the major spoiler show notes. I just really dug this and it's something that uh -huh. I think I could easily pick up once a year and just read just to pass a, a an hour or a half hour or whatever it takes. Uh -huh. uh, Rodrigo, what about you? What are bottom line for you? Um, I'd say definitely check it out. I mean, it is uh, like, aside from all of the praise that we've given it, the crowning achievement of it is that, you know, the whole like, if you could go back in time, would you go back and kill Hitler uh, thing just pops up everywhere. And this comic is simultaneously a great way to tackle that and also a big F you to anybody who says that. Yeah. You know, it's like, because, yeah. because it just like executes it in such a like perfectly mundane way. It yes. Just, it's, it's one of the best things I've read recently. Matthew, what are your final thoughts? I have a very tortured relationship with Fantagraphics books and with Gary Growth specifically. And there, there's a point in my head, you know, going back to the early 90s when Fantagraphics and the Comics Journal were saying, superheroes are stupid and all superheroes are dumb. Read these books that are not about superheroes. My young brain went, no, you are dumb and stupid. But then I read some of these things, specifically this one and a few others, where I'm just like, maybe he's right. This is incredible storytelling. This is really good comics. And even though there's no Spider-Man and no real punching, you do get to see Hitler executed no fewer than twice. So <laughs> you got that going, going for you. For, yeah, right. I mean, looking for a I, big shiny uh, spot yeah. in the book. This is great comics. And if you are a fan of 
the comic form and the comic storytelling and the things you can do with writing and drawing together in the juxtaposition of words and ideas. I feel like this is a story you need to check out. Even if you check it out and you're like, well, I don't feel like there was enough there to carry it. Eh, you know, that that's entirely up to you. How you feel about it, how the quality breaks down for you. But I really want you to check this out, Faithful Spoilerites, because this is a weird book. That's weird in all the right ways. This is like a long car ride with Rodrigo. Kind of weird. And it's the kind of weird that everybody should experience a little bit of. Because, man, this is good. Also, some of the people are birds. I don't know why. And, Ashley, your thoughts, please. You like things like uh, Disney movies? Or yes. Black Sad? Or yes. uh, anything by Art Spiegelman? And you also Maybe. like being a little bit confused by why you like those things. Uh, this would be a really, really excellent book to pick up. And if you don't like those things, then open your damn horizons and read it anyway. It's only 51 pages long, including the cover. I think that is the <laughs> best, uh, best reason right there. Thank you so much, Ashley. <laughs> Ashley, nice. where can people find you and everything that you're doing? Oh, man. Uh, you can find me hosting Geek History Lesson Podcast. This week's episode is on Zoom. We have our first ever uh, video that actually has Jason and I in it. You can find that all at MajorSpoilers.com. Uh, you can find Girl and Supergirl review of the Supergirl finale also there. Um, I think I'm going to be on this week's Legends of Tomorrow review show also there. Uh, and then Game of Thrones starting up this weekend. Yeah, All of that on MajorSpoilers.com. Any, uh, you want to throw out any social medias? Oh, yeah, and then, and then find me on the internet at Ashley V. Robinson All in all of the places. Yeah, in all the places, including, what is it, Periscope. Periscope, uh, every and, day. Yeah, and it's kind of fun because you never know where Ashley will be next. It could be driving down the 405 and it's wanting true. to have a conversation mm -hmm. with you. Well, nobody was on fire this time, so I feel like that was a win for the 405. <laughs> that's, a, that, that's a plus. Uh, Rodrigo, what about you? Uh, you can find me at Fearsome Critter on Twitter. You can find me at tumblr.magicturtle.com. And you can find my book on Amazon, which is called The Tale of Tallest Rabbit. Excellent. And Matthew? You can find me at Mighty King Cobra on the Twitter. Join us every day for the Ranger of the Day. And when I run out of Rangers, I may have a little something set up for you. Oh, are you also, go back follow to, me. Uh, your, your creepy picture of the day of your fantasy. Oh, you know what? Nice. Uh, I'm not speaking to you ever again, <laughs> which is going to be awkward because I'm also on six of the 10 Major Spoilers podcasts <laughs> with Steven. every single week. And you can follow me and see how bad a 45 year old man is at Tumblr. Uh, oh. I don't know what my Tumblr is, but Matthew, I'll bet it's Mighty King Cobra. You should get on Snapchat chat next because I hear old people totally don't understand Snapchat. Dude, I've had Snapchat for like three years. I don't understand Snapchat. Snapchat is awesome. I'm not saying the reason why I'm on Snapchat, but Snapchat is awesome. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Uh, you can Steve follow me Madden. at Major Spoilers. Don't forget to visit our website, MajorSpoilers.com. And that wraps it up for this issue. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. You know what? We are going to be back next week to discuss Hellboy in Mexico. Why? Because we know that you love comics. We do, too. And we will talk with you soon. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the Man of Steel. I'm going to rearrange your things if you continue to debate whether Logan's claws could pierce Steve Rogers' Podcast is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.